Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, everybody. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. As well as a very special guest, Pete Smith. Hey, Pete, how you doing? Pete, what are you doing there? Um, you make you mixing a smoothie or something? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious. Uh, gotta get his protein on. <laughs> uh, He's trying to come up with a story. He doesn't know what it, what what he's actually going to say. <laughs> so, um, Pete, are you there? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. <laughs> okay, good. So, we wanted to have you on mostly because you were at OTA practices last week and wanted to get a sense from you of what's going on with our Cleveland Browns. Um, we're all deficient for any Browns news, and we like level-headed people that actually got to see things with their own eyes. And so my first question for you is being around the team, seeing them out on the field practicing, I want a sense of what the general vibe is around the team. You've been there for training camp practices and all sorts of stuff over the years. Did you notice anything any different? Well, I should preface by saying I was at one the, the first day of minicamp, uh, and uh, so everything oh, yeah, I sorry, say not was, OTAs. It was minicamp. My bad. Yeah, the no, you're fine. It's just I wasn't there for all of it. Just the first day, uh, and I preface this by saying you know it's one day of minicamp. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like so anything I say you can take with a grain of salt. Uh, other than me shitting on Jarvis Landry, which I always enjoy doing. <laughs> uh, in like I would say the. Dudes were excited, and, I, and part of that is just because it is the first day of minicamp or, the, you know, the first day of training camp, whatever first day it is. There's a certain amount of, like, guys are just excited because it's the first day of whatever they're doing. But there's a lot of guys were just loving life being out there, which is certainly beats the alternative. But, you know, some of that is just a matter of that's that's just a case of being out there. But at the same time, you know, it's – difficult to ignore how much talent they have and you know so much of this is being credited to you know John Dorsey signing guys and this that and the other some of it is just the guys they had been bringing in look much better or just look really good in their own right like Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba are are just enormous human beings (laughs) that are just you know physically outstanding Josh Gordon you know is just a rocked up enormous human being. Like he catches a slant and all those other guys, he's like running through the Lilliputians and you just know that (laughs) there's an element of nobody wants to hit that. And I can't blame them. You know what I mean? It's like poor little Denzel Ward, you know, he's doing what he can, but Josh Gordon is just, you know, a mutant out there uh, with, with this, with everything that's going on. David Njoku is another guy. I mean, they've just got, you know, and it, we don't need to get into a Sashi Brown versus John Dorsey debate. Obviously, Sashi already won that. But the, <laughs> but the, the, you know, the idea that that Sashi Brown drafted all these, you know, really athletic guys, they are physically huge and very athletic and impressive in that. And certainly, John Dorsey's continued to build on that uh, with some of the guys he brought in, like, you know, the the guy who stood out to me first and foremost is Nick Chubb. That dude looks unbelievably good. Uh, and like, and just, talk, talk specifically, what do you mean? Like what is looking so good and sticking out to you just from like watching them in a 
practice with no pads? So again, they don't have pads, but you know, a lot of people were really excited about the signing for Carlos Hyde and maybe when they get pads on, right. And I'm (laughs) with you. I, you know, I think he's a fine third back, um, but, and a primary backup to Chubb, who I think is ultimately going to win that job. And maybe with pads on, he will look better where he can fight through contact and do those things that all those people who love him swear he does. Um, but compared to Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb is just a different speed. I mean, he's still 225 pounds or whatever he is. He is unbelievably fast. Um, and his vision is incredible. He just he ke- takes a handoff or catches a pass. And, and that was another thing I noticed is all these people talk about he didn't have hands. And again, one day, but he caught everything I saw him th- thrown at him and looked great doing it. But he gets the handoff or he catches the ball. He makes a couple moves, and suddenly you're watching him run to the end zone again. Yeah, He's just a different speed than a guy like Carlos Hyde, and he has that game-break ability. And um, I should note that Duke Johnson was not out there for the team portion or whatever, so that I didn't have that to sort of compare against, but just – sheer speed from a guy who, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, with his knee injury, everybody knew he's a big guy. Everybody knew he's a big, strong guy. Uh, but the question was him, was his speed back? Uh, and at the combine, he sort of showed that he ran, you know, unbelievably fast and, and powerful and everything else. And now it seems like a couple mo- more months removed from that, whatever speed he lost or had, hadn't gotten quite back looks like it's there. And then some, so, you know, it's just, it, it. you know, so much of this is going to be about Baker Mayfield and, and everything he does, but with Tyrod Taylor providing some cover for him. Hey, before we move uh, on from the running backs, I have a question for you. Um, how do you see the running back situation playing out? Like, obviously you only saw one practice, but, like, if that holds true across, you know, training camp and everything, and it's obvious that Nick Chubb is the more talented back that should be receiving carries over Carlos Hyde. We have Duke Johnson locked up for the long term, or at least for another three years on, you know, past this year. How do we play that out? Do you see all three of those guys getting carries, or do you think that it's going to be a situation where we might try to move Hyde? Um, so, what I would what I would say is is that Chubb and Hyde are your two true tailbacks. Like the the guys you want to give you know twenty five carries all that you know that cliched stuff, whereas Duke Johnson is effectively his own position to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he can line up a tailback, but obviously he can line up at you know any kind of wings, uh, slot wow. receiver, whatever. He's a guy you can. One of the reasons I think he's ridiculously underrated is you can put him anywhere on the field and he's going to be productive. Uh, right. And, and, and he just makes plays where he's at. So I would treat him as his own position. Realistically, what should happen if everything goes according to plan is you have a two-back tandem of Chubb and Duke the way the Falcons have, you know, Devontae Freeman and, and the other one down there. Tevin Cole, uh, yeah. But Carlos Hyde, as much as I, I didn't like that signing, I think he's, you know, way too expensive. Um, I would have drafted another guy. What I do like about that, and we saw this last year, is when Isaiah Crowell was struggling, I think he was pressing because he's so worried about getting a contract extension, is you didn't have another guy you could go to. It's just a normal tailback. So, God forbid Chubb gets hurt. He goes down for you know a series or a game or a couple weeks. Uh, Carlos Hyde may not be a star, but he's a functional 
realistic back that at least looks credible. On top of that, in the scenario where the Browns actually have a lead in the second half. Um, what does that and, look like? And, yeah, that'll never happen. So <laughs> so if, if, if they actually, you know, Hugh doesn't hew his way out of it, then <laughs> let's say let's say Chubb is, is running well, he's got 15 carries or whatever, and you want to sort of either, you know, control the ball or whatever, you can put in Hyde for fresh legs and he can just wear on people. And now he's a, you know, a 230 pound dude who all he wants to do is slam into people. That gives you another way to run the ball. And, and, you know, this is the, this is something that has to happen this year. They actually have to commit for the, to the run game after Hugh Jackson claimed that last year it was the spine of the offense. Um, <laughs> That you now have, you, you absolutely have no excuse, and that you have a really, really talented group of three backs that can all credibly get carries in, in addition to what you hope is a strong offensive line, this, that, and the other. So, that and Todd Haley loves the screen game, and, and, and the minicamp stuff I saw at one point, I think they ran three screens in a row to tailbacks. Um, that should be another part of the running game certainly it counts as passing yardage and you know that's fine but it should really be thought of as more rushing yardage and and that's one of the reasons i'm i'm so happy that they extended duke johnson and by the way i thought oh my he actually, gosh. Yeah. I, I i'm surprised he got his you know it's it's a great contract for the browns and 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 dorsey but i actually think duke's getting underpaid on it no he, um, he no uh, he absolutely is and pete i want to talk to you about hugh jackson um I mean, you've been a critic of Hugh Jackson, and I mean, we're not exactly huge fans here as far as his tenure here in Cleveland. What was he doing during the the uh, mini camp? I mean, he was kind of regarded as a quarterback guru and spent all his time with the quarterbacks and the offense. But now Todd Haley's calling the plays. Um, what did were you able to observe there during mini camp? Was he floating around? Was he coaching the whole team? Was he just with the offense? Was he lost? Did was he know he what to do? Yeah. <laughs> He's taken on sort of more of a CEO type uh, role, and that may not last. That may be just for the early part to sort of see, you know, how things are going to go. But was right that now, evident while you were there, like, was it clear that that was the case? It just uh, that Todd Haley was clearly the dude you know, calling the offense. Uh, and it, it was basically Todd Haley versus Greg Williams for what we, what I saw anyway. I'm sure he was floating around somewhere, but I, I it, and again, it may change. This is kind of what happened at the senior bowl the year they allowed Hugh to coach it uh, when he was <laughs> not put on timeout. Um, is that what he, what he initially did is he was more of a floater and let guys sort of do it. And then he'd call plays. Um now it just seems like he's handed over a lot of that control to Todd Haley. And I think part of that is because um, Hugh understands that, well, I'd like to think Hugh, he doesn't learn lessons very well. I'd like to assume that Hugh <laughs> understands that he's one of 31. And if this doesn't go well, and, and by not go well, I mean, he needs to go at least eight and eight. And that would still end him up with a nine and 39 record. You know, it's a really hard situation for him to argue to keep his job at that point. So I think he's got to sort of let other people do things. Yeah, especially with all the talent on the team um, that we've added, especially in the quarterback room. You were talking a little bit, diving into the quarterbacks there, Pete. 
Um, what did you see from obviously our new bright and shiny toy Baker Mayfield? What, who was he talking to? Who was he interacting with? Was he talking to Drew Stanton? Was he just kind of sitting there going along? Was he clearly leading? Um, did he have that swagger, Pete? <laughs> he uh, he looked good. I mean, he, he was he was only with the second team guys, which is fine. Uh, but he didn't look like he you know was overwhelmed or anything. It's just a matter of him figuring out how, you know, getting better at executing, but it's not like he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He understands play calls and what, you know, what he's supposed to do on a given play. He looked good. He didn't turn over the football uh, or anything like that. He made plays on the defense. Uh, he threw the ball all over the place, just like, you know, they, he did at Oklahoma, you know, his, he doesn't give a shit. If a guy's open, he's got to throw it to him. He doesn't. I love that not, so much. No, it's no different than him in Oklahoma where, you know, he's dragging, you know, a, a pretty good tight end, a bunch of bombs um, up and down the field. In this situation, especially with those number twos, you know, he's hopefully he's hoping to, you know, obviously be playing with guys like Gordon Landry, Coleman, Njoku and all those guys. So there's no reason for him to really get stuck on any particular receiver. So you're seeing guys like Julian Allen catching pets. He did like set the valve quite a bit. I don't blame him. Uh, but you know, Jeff Janice, all these other guys are catching balls. They're in the right spot. Uh, the stuff I would, I would, I would say take as a very positive sign is the ball just explodes out of his hand, which is no different than it was at the senior bowl. But you haven't seen, or at least I haven't seen. And I, I don't think you will see questions about his arm strength. It's, yeah, yeah, Grandpa was 20. a little off base whenever he was talking about uh, the arm strength being a concern for Baker. <laughs> At some point, it, you, people are going to understand that you don't have to be 6'5 to throw it hard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he, he looked good. Uh, you know, it's not a question of, I, I, you know, I love the fact that it's not a question of that he has to play. I think he's more than equipped to start right away. But they have the luxury of saying that we have this guy. Uh, that can start right now, and Baker Mayfield can basically take over when he's ready. I also like the fact that he's essentially got somebody to chase um, in Tyrod Taylor, and and that's something that I think Mm -hmm. you've seen him get the best out of himself when he wasn't the starter, like when he was at uh, Texas Tech and then at Oklahoma. The fact that he had somebody right in front of him pushing him to be better and now, you know, you know, I read an article. Talk, I see, like, the media, I, I get the sense that they are desperately trying to tone down expectations. And then some people are taking it like Baker Mayfield's not doing well. And it's – I don't think that's really what they mean. I think it's just yeah. they're trying to get people to understand that it's Tyrod Taylor's team uh, and that Baker Mayfield isn't ready to do that yet. Yeah. But that doesn't make him behind – uh, but when you leave mini camp and you've got a month, I think that having Tyrod there gives Baker Mayfield a month of something to you know push him. And it's not like he's hurting for you know uh, perceived gripes or anything like that. He's a guy who loves to you know generate his own uh, doubt and feed off of that. But I do think that having Tyrod Taylor there gives him sort of one extra thing to sort of drive him. And on the flip side, I think Tyrod Taylor's got an extra thing driving him. And the fact that the Buffalo bills who look like dog shit gave up on him. I mean, Buffalo, the Buffalo bills who might be led by Nathan Peterman this year. 
the Buffalo Bills who, who the Buffalo the, Bills who only had Tyrod Taylor last year, who who got them to the playoffs for their first time in twenty years. They tried to bench him for a guy who threw five picks. Easily the front runner to get Ed Oliver next year. Uh, they could eat. You know, if if Lashawn McCoy goes down, they may not win a game. Uh, and if I was the defensive coordinator, I'd be embarrassed if they scored uh, in practice. But that has to be one more thing that has to be just driving Tyrod Taylor insane. And the part of the part of the fact that he's wakes up and he sees, you know, Josh Gordon, Njoku, all these guys that he didn't have in Buffalo. And at the same time, he's got this team that basically said, we don't want you anymore. Uh, go, you know, we'll, we'll take a third round pick for you. So you've got just so much driving that quarterback room. And in, in addition to that, you have coach Stanton there helping, uh, <laughs> helping them helping Baker Mayfield and all that stuff, which is great. It's just a, it's the situation that the Bronx have been desperately trying to, or should have been trying to get to for the past, you know, decade and a half where they have, you know, their rookie quarterback, they have the luxury of taking their time with him, making sure he's ready. And they have somebody credible that can play now. And that's not been yeah. a scenario that they've had. And that's why I think this can be really successful. In addition to the fact, obviously, I love loved Baker Mayfield going to the draft. I think he's going to yeah. be great on his own. But the I think Ty, the, the, the trade for Tyrod Taylor is going to be graded on did his presence. It won't, I don't think it'll matter so much for him how many games they win. I think it will be more uh, important if Tyrod Taylor – helps Baker Mayfield become the guy, then no one will care how many games they won. That will be totally worth the trade as opposed to, let's say they go, you know, six and 10 or, you know, eight and eight or whatever, but Baker Mayfield's bad. Then it doesn't really mean anything. Like nobody's going to care about an eight and eight season a couple of years ago, a couple of years in the past when they're looking to having to go get another quarterback in the draft. Yeah. So to me on this quarterback piece, the dynamics and like with the pieces we have in place are ideal. Like your point about this is what we should have been doing for the last decade and a half is spot on. Absolutely. But these are all new guys in our locker room, completely new quarterback room. The period of time right now to me is extremely delicate for laying the foundation for us stepping into this season because who knows what's going to happen. Like Tyrod could go gangbusters and he's our starter the entire season or it could go south real quick. And everybody could be, like, clamoring for Baker Mayfield. And so, to me, the question that Mark asked about what the dynamics between the quarterbacks looks like right now, like, are they, like, competing against each other and it feels like that? Or are they, like, collaborating and working together? Like, if they have a team mentality, I think it bodes well for the future of this team. And as a Browns fan that's just scared of the worst thing possible happening – I'm just worried about the competitiveness like taking over at some point. Hugh Jackson making a dumb decision, as we know that he's inclined to do, and it just kind of like making the whole thing crumble. Do you have any like what what are your thoughts as you hear me like lay out that doomsday scenario? So I, I think the answer is both. They are very professional, very cordial with each other. I think they do have a good relationship, but it's part of that relationship is based on the fact that they are uh, relentless competitors. Tyrod Taylor is a sixth-round pick uh, who was drafted on a team that had a quarterback and wasn't given anything, had to earn everything. Um, and you, if you watched it, uh, 
you saw how much of an edge that dude has when Tony Grossi asked him about the practice squad, which he's never been on. Uh, and he let him know right there, I've never been on the practice squad. And he's muttering under his breath, practice squad. He's so disappointed. And, and, and <laughs> Grossi never asked another question. Um, and I don't think he's asked a question of Tyrod since. Um, uh, Grossi's just been getting it recently. I love it. They're just like no one even cares anymore. Greg Williams gave it to him the other day. That was good, too. It was so good. Ask one of the other people. Um, So (laughs) I do think think that they have – and Baker Mayfield, obviously, the two-time walk-on that ultimately won the Heisman Trophy. I don't think you lose that walk-on mentality. So I think they both have – I think they relate to each other in the fact that they both have that just grinder attitude. Uh, But there's – you know, talk, seeing how these guys relate to each other in the media, talk, you know, seeing how the players relate to them. You know, Baker Mayfield's basically come out and pledged that he's competing his ass off for the job, but understands it's not his team yet. Uh, and, and I think, you know, even at Oklahoma, he sort of understood, you know, that it, you know, he had to wait and compete, but not be a problem. And I don't think that's ever been an issue for all the, you know, alleged character concerns with with Baker Mayfield, none of them had to do with teammates. I mean, you know, all the teammates loved him. Mm. Uh, and, and you're already seeing reports um, that the, the players in the Browns organization love him, although I asked I did ask one player and and having been a Browns player for a while, he, I, I think uh, having been stung a couple of times, he basically said, I, I like him quite a bit. I don't know if I'm in love yet. Uh, which I, which I can understand, but Brown's no, I think player I, that's been here for a long time. <laughs> How many years are we talking about? What school did this person go to, Pete? <laughs> he went to a school sort of out west. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I do think I do think they have a, a a good relationship based on sort of that mutual appreciation of the path that they got there. Uh, but I don't see it being an issue. But the other part of that, and, and I cannot confirm this, it's just what I believe. I believe that John Dorsey is basically aud- letting Hugh audition to see if he's going to get to coach Baker Mayfield. And, and what I mean by that is I think in a lot of ways, Tyrod Taylor, Carlos uh, Hyde, Jarvis Landry uh, were brought in. Those are Hugh's guys. Hugh wanted more veterans. And certainly he will get some of these rookies. He will get Denzel Ward. He will get Nick Chubb. But when it comes to Baker Mayfield, probably Austin Corbett and some of these other younger guys, I feel like this is an audition to see who is going to be John Dorsey's head coach, who is going to be Baker Mayfield's head coach. And I think in part because of how badly Hugh handled Deshaun Kaiser um, and, 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 you know, and he has done this to himself in terms of saying, oh, he wants a veteran quarterback and all this. I, I think it's going to be not not just that a tie would go to Tyrod, but Baker Mayfield has to sort of beat him by a little bit. And I think part of that is not just because of Hugh, but I also do think that's partly because of the locker room and how much they've taken to Tyrod and his poise and his professionalism and his attitude in a way that I think it's so refreshing because they had a bunch of, you know, basically babies out there at quarterback last year because they got rid of Josh McCown stupidly and they had, you know, and they got rid of Brock Osweiler. So it was, 
Kaiser uh, and two and Kessler and and oh you know gosh. the kid from Stanford. That nobody our, knew what they're doing. looking at our quarterback room from last year to this year is just like shocking. Like it's completely it, different. It well, not only is it from completely, top to bottom, not only is it completely turned over, but just the experience and like what and the talent level that we bring to the table now compared to last year. I mean, it's got to be the single biggest reason that Sashi didn't keep his job. I have to believe that if we had a little bit better presence in that quarterback room that he would have a better chance of keeping his job. Yeah, so, Pete, you keep talking about all the different, just the talent on this team and the talent base and how exciting it is to watch Nick Chubb run around out there, what a specimen Josh Gordon is. Have you ever been to a minicamp practice before? Is there, like, a different vibe around the field that people are like, you said they were going around having fun and stuff like that, but does that to compare to a year past where it was almost more hopeless? I always had hope as a fan, but there's obviously an excitement on this end, um, but do you feel that? Can you see that on the field in practices? No, I, I think that's the thing. I think any team's first day minicamp, everybody's going to be generally excited, but I do think there's a little bit of a, for the guys who have been here, there's an appreciation that this team has more talent, that this team is simply better, and they just want to, you know, get out there and do it to see what it's going to start looking like. I think there's a, uh, and, and honestly, this happened last year or when they went one in fifteen. <laughs> as guys were like excited yeah. to get to work and sort of get there, but I do think that there's an extra level of sort of excitement for some of those guys. Some of them have been resigned, extended, whatever, that they're starting to see that work carry over into something, that they're not just to be a bad team. Now, I, to me, as an analyst, the first two games terrify me on the season. And because of Hugh Jackson and, and, and what I would say, I'm sure everybody will tell you it's the right thing now, but... At the end of last season, I would say it was probably 50-50 the locker room, that there were guys who were just done with him, and there were guys who generally do, generally did believe him, believe in him. Uh, that hmm. if they were to go 0 and 2, and they come out to that, which which is the Steelers and the Saints, not Very likely, not the situation you want to open with. Then we get and the Jets, if you, though. And if you get into going to that Jets game and you lose it, then I would be my my fear would be that those players are basically be like this dude is toast. It's just about getting to the offseason and it's week four and that even if they are a better team, you won't see it. And that's the the ultimate challenge for this coaching staff is trying to well, first, obviously, win those two games. But it, trying to manage the emotions that come with losing and, and some of these guys who are brought in, like Jarvis Landry, I would be very curious to see what happens if, A, he's not getting the targets to get 100 balls like he's used to. Which seems unlikely, B, right? There's no way. Has no business happening. None. Uh, but, is that just because you don't like Jarvis Landry? Or is that because you think they're, the ball should be distributed amongst other playmakers like josh gordon and duke johnson i'll I'll put it to you if you are a defense that's going to try to stop the browns who are you most worried about on this offense oh yeah no that's the right question to ask and it's definitely josh gordon and duke johnson probably and hopefully nick chubb 
And then maybe David Njoku steps up and then he becomes another dude. And already we're like four dudes in and going, there's this dude who's making 15 million this year. Why isn't he, you know, number one or number two? That's where I get worried. And then on top of that, if he's, you know, if he's not getting the targets that he's used to, that he got in Miami and they're losing, what's that going to look like? Uh, in terms of the dynamic in the locker room. Now we'll see. Uh, the day one, the, the day I was at minicamp, Tyrod loved him some Jarvis Landry, and I'm hoping that's not how this is going to ultimately stay because I was looking at Josh Gordon not get balls uh, as often as I would throw to him just <laughs> sure. because he's a freaking Because you, can, you can huck it down the field, right, Pete? Like, I mean, you can <laughs> really get it down there. Throw it over that Absolutely. mountain over there. I've, I've, got, <laughs> yeah. I've got what I, you know, I, I've deemed of myself the Arena League cannon. Uh, <laughs> the the I can you know twenty yards I can whip it pretty good. But just the idea that and and I go back to the game against I think it was uh, San Diego last year where Josh Gordon should have had about three hundred yards receiving and Kaiser couldn't make those throws. Yeah. And my worry and and again this is one day you know guys will develop chemistry hopefully it'll change things up a little bit but. The fear is with Tyrod is that he gets so stuck on throwing to Jarvis Landry that he's missing opportunities to throw to Josh Gordon down the Mm -hmm. field to get those explosive plays, which Todd Haley claims he wants, or that, you know, getting getting a ball to Jarvis Landry for a six-yard game on third and 11 when it should be Josh Gordon or not getting the ball to Johnson, whoever it is. But that's why, to me, you know, People talk about how, well, you know, Jarvis Landry could be a pro bowler here. And my answer to that is he could, but that would be, that would suggest to me that something went horribly wrong offensively. Yeah, it would be to the detriment of everybody else. Um, so you said that that Tyrod Taylor, I mean, we know the, Josh, the Jarvis Landry contract that we, we don't love, um, but it is what it is. After seeing him in minicamp and seeing him vibe with with um, Tyrod Taylor, seeing him vibe with the rest of the team, are are you starting to come around a little bit to what he might be able to bring on the field or even in the locker room? Sure, uh, and and I'm not going to lie. Looking at you know them put trips set up with Gordon Landry and Coleman, uh, you know, as your three receivers out to one side and Njoku on the other side. That looks pretty damn good. I yeah, mean, that's, that's scary. That's scary. That's a lot and then you get, of dudes. And then you've got Duke Johnson in the backfield, and you can flex him out if you want to. That's awesome. Right. So, I mean, just the things they can do offensively looks pretty good. And, and look, Jarvis Landry is good at things that he showed in minicamp. He catches the ball really, really well. He is physical in how he runs his routes and creates separation. Um, he's like a net. And and that's certainly a good thing for a team that that had so many issues. Now I put a lot of that from last year on on Deshaun Kaiser, that I think it's a little bit of an overreaction, and I think drops are overrated in general. But certainly you're not going to be upset at a guy who catches everything you throw at him. Uh, that can do things like you know be a little bit of a red zone presence. That can be a guy who's just sort of nifty and uh, able to run everything at one speed, so he can you know, make plays. And, you know, the first play of their, 
you know, they do uh, basically what amounts to a series of 10 two-point plays. They call a competition period. And the first one, mm-hmm. bang, Tyrod threw it to the corner. And you've seen the video of it. That was the first play they ran where Tyrod goes up into the corner and makes that play. Certainly, that is encouraging. And, and you like what that can be. Mostly, I like busting. First, I hate the contract like you do. But it's largely become a bit making fun of Jarvis Landry and his inefficiency, just that it drives people nuts and people keep asking about it. So I just love to hammer it. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that Honestly. you guys run the field faster than Jarvis Landry did, as I saw. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, there's, it's a goal no to aspire question. to. It was actually, actually close, like, <laughs> like too close for comfort. <laughs> there's no question that, that having Jarvis Landry, even at that ugly contract number will make this team better. The worry is that it ends badly like it did in Miami where, you know, a lot of Browns fans don't seem to either know this or remember this. Jarvis Landry's last, like, people hate Corey Coleman because you dropped the ball to go, you know, finish the 0-16 season. Uh, That's his last play of that season. Some people think, oh, you can't get over it when you get rid of him. Jarvis Landry's last moment in in Miami was getting ejected for starting a fight on the field. Like, that's the worry is that, things go badly, he's going to be able, unable to control himself, he'll get personal fouls, that type of stuff. But so far, so good. I think the fresh start helps. Certainly it doesn't hurt his feelings that he's going to get $29 million over the next two years as it wouldn't hurt your feelings. So there's a lot of things. That oh, I make, I make more than that, Pete. Sorry. <laughs> he doesn't. Well, you know. <laughs> that's he's certainly totally he's got that's, no money. Certainly would be a good situation, and and you can uh, you know put put all that money into the pod. Um, <laughs> but so... <laughs> the, 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 everything is going right now and in a positive direction, it's, and the the excitement that's coming out of camp certainly feels legitimate at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So Pete, I got, I got a question for you. Um, we're doing all this talk about the offense. What did you see from the defensive side from our new? Um, addition in Denzel Ward. Um, I saw you were talking about he was having trouble covering Josh Gordon, as most people do. Um, how do you feel about that and the direction that's heading with some of our new pieces? Uh, I love Denzel Ward, the player. I love him as a worker. Uh, I mean, I I was I actually coached, uh, was on the sideline against him when he was at Nordonia one uh, for one game, huh. uh, and he did not do anything against us. He picked off a pass, but we shut him down on offense. You never uh, miss the opportunity to point that out. I've seen you point it out like <laughs> ten and, times. And, and I tried. I tried. I, Doug, Doug Layer Maurice was going to ask ask him that for me. I don't know if it ever happened. But in any case, um, the kid is a worker is fantastic, and, and and I do think Denzel Ward's in a little bit of an unfair position because I do think fourth pick is it, you know you expect you know, a Champ Bailey type impact. You expect a Charles Woodson type impact. And I don't know if he has that in him. And I say this as also pointing out, I don't think anyone was worth fourth pick. Like Bradley Chubb was not going to be, and, and, you know, maybe I like that take. That's, I think that you're right. And I don't hear a lot of people saying that. I think you're right. Yeah. I just don't, you know, even if it was Saquon Barkley, you know, I would obviously, you know, I think he's a phenomenal talent, but I I do think Nick Chubb is only, barely worse than he is and they got him at 33 so i just didn't see a guy who was there that you were going to be like man this is a great pick at four i do think the ohio state thing will help him uh you know 
in sort of easing into expectations. So here's what I saw. Nick, uh, uh, Denzel Ward is accustomed to playing exclusively press and tight man coverage. Uh, he played a little bit of off coverage at Ohio State, largely, you know, out uh, expecting tight ends. Um, if you, you know, referencing Penn State would be the game where you'd look at. They were not afraid to have him go one-on-one with Mike Jacecki, who I loved in the draft as a 6'5", you know, 250-pound guy mm-hmm. who, who runs a gazelle. Um, that is all positive. I am not loving – I do not love or ward the idea that they're going to they're, they're gonna play him off. They're going to make him learn how to be an off-man corner uh, and all that stuff. And I do think that's an adjustment for a guy who never backpedaled in college. Uh Having said that, he competes like hell. He's, you know, he's obviously athletically gifted. Um, he does look small. I think that's just who he's going to be. I think he's a guy who's always going to have trouble adding and, and keeping weight. Uh, he sticks on guys, but, you know, Josh Gordon is enormous, and that's not easy. Like I said, it's it's really difficult for anybody, and certainly Ward will compete, but Josh Gordon is like 215 pounds and he's got like hair muscle for, and, and it's like, he's oiled up in these pictures uh, <laughs> yeah, he is. on the field. It's as if the, there's like a, a baby oil uh, thing on Instagram that just makes him look even more ripped than the possible. baby oil filter. <laughs> yeah. The, the, that it just makes him look even more ripped than he already is. And that's, you know, that's great for Ward and the type of guy he's going to have to compete against. Uh, certainly that should help with going against guys like AJ green. Uh, the, I, you know, I didn't see it there, but the guys I want to see him cover is, is in, in large part, I think Denzel Ward was drafted for one reason and one reason only. And his name's Antonio Brown. Uh, and I didn't get a chance, at least in that format, to really see him go against a guy who's just smaller, speedy, and, and precision type, where I, where I think Ward will be better. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's got, Josh Gordon is just, you know, a gargantuan human being that's tough for anybody uh, to guard that, yeah. that it makes, makes it difficult. So it's going to be an adjustment. But, uh, and, and, you know, there's a great press conference where Greg Williams, another incident where he crushes Tony Grossi, even though he didn't really mean to. Uh, my favorite time of year of Greg Williams, where he's not actually playing games, and I don't have to be sad yet, where he's just really thoughtful <laughs> and entertaining, talking about what he thinks about players right. and this, that, everything about that, and him talking. I don't know if this is true or not. The idea that that other players were coming up to him presumably not corners and telling him they want to see more Denzel Ward on the field. And that's part of how he got to the first team already um, is certainly something you want to hear that he's a ridiculously hard worker and all that stuff. Um, and that the I other think players that, are seeing it like yeah. That, yeah. that means a lot when you're the guys you're competing against and like alongside are saying this guy's got it like we need him in the battle with us. Right. I do think it's going to be, you know, I do think he's going to have a bumpy rookie year in some respects, and that's okay. Yeah, and most, mo- and most, most corners do. Um, I mean, it's hard to come in, and Marshawn Lattimore, I think, is the, the exception rather than the rule. I mean, you see cornerbacks right, struggle. Um, we I'm upgraded our defense. Don't. Sorry, 
Pete, I want to move on they to linebackers. I'm hoping they, that, that people look at Denzel Ward and don't assume that because Marshawn Lattimore was so great that Ward's going to automatically be that great. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, and that makes sense. Um, another thing that we did just recently was we added, we added Michael Kendricks to the linebacker core. Pete, I want you to break down. Going into last season, we were talking about our linebackers and with Greg Williams, and he only used two linebackers most of the time because that's where the league is going. Now we have four who seemingly should all be on the field. How is this going to work out? So last year, the Browns and the Panthers led the league uh, in amount of time three linebackers were on the field. And some of that you can defend by saying, you know, they didn't like their corners. They had Jabril Peppers playing, you know, the 50-yard free because he'd never done it before. This, that, and the uh, you know, all that stuff saying, okay, well, our linebackers are good, so we should keep them on the field. But as we go to this year, you know, he's already sending the message that he doesn't want to take linebackers on the feet off the field again. I'm hoping that's not the case. Um, that you, this is a nickel league and the Browns signed 70 corners that hopefully they're going to be more comfortable taking a guy off the field to improve their matchup situation. Now there are some ways they can get around this, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. So Michael Kendrick specifically, they have said that he's going to be the backup will. Um, so Did at they this say point, backup though, I mean, I felt like well, they, said they said that said he's going to compete at the will. Okay. Compete at will. But I mean, I mean, who are we kidding? He's not going to beat out Chris Kirksey. Um, so at this point now, if Schobert were to get hurt, Kirksey would move to Mike, I assume. And then uh, Michael Kendricks would go to Will. And then if Jamie Collins was to go down, uh, I, I, I assume that, you know, James Burgess and Jannard Avery are going to keep competing for that backup spot. But realistically, Michael Kendricks would probably slide over to Sam in that standpoint. There is talk that, you know, quote-unquote packages, and last year they did this somewhat where they had, you know, f- legit 4-4 four, four sets where they would bring James Burgess on the field as an extra linebacker uh, and and use that to attack. There's a couple reasons I don't like that option. Number one is Jabril Peppers and Derek Kindred, who Greg Williams has basically said are both basically linebackers who can run. Yeah, um, it, it, which it just kind of compounds the problem we're talking about. It seems like right. Well, yeah, and, and, and but it, if anything, I, I took away from minicamp with Jabril Peppers is they want him to be able to man cover, which makes me very happy. Uh, they're letting him run with David Njoku constantly, which will help him immensely. Oh yeah, but for in, sure. But my biggest issue with the def- defense at this point is the three technique, defensive tackle position, and it's really if. Funny. You know, I, I get all these people who tell me how great Caleb Brantley is. You know, he had a solid month. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and Trevon Coley is a very is very good at his one job. Uh, he's a very good run defender. I don't know if he's ever going to be more than that. So how this relates to the linebackers is you could see conceivably that they get into obvious passing situations. And rather than put another uh, defensive lineman in there, they could conceivably go to a three-man front with Garrett Ogba and let's say Chris Smith inside at the nose or Larry Ogunjobi and then bring Michael Kendricks in 
have four linebackers, and since Greg loves to blitz, now he's got more options in terms of ways to blitz guys that don't involve Danny Shelton covering tight ends um, yeah. and dro- dropping defensive linemen or anything like that. That that if you love Michael Kendricks, who is a run-and-chase linebacker who's not very good coverage but blitzes well, now you bump in Jamie Collins to more of an inside backer position next to Joe Schobert. Jamie Collins is very good at blitzing the A-back. Uh, Joe Schobert is pretty good at blitzing the A-back. And then Chris Kirksey knows how to blitz. And you have Jabril Peppers or Derek Kendrick who know how to blitz. That now you can blitz from a million different angles and still hopefully have, you know, coverage in the back end that's going to make a quarterback hold onto the ball a little bit longer. Hit him with a bunch of small speedy guys and some big speedy guys like Garrett and Ogba that you now create more hits on the quarterback, create more potential sack fumbles or interceptions or whatever, that that would be sort of a way to sell, you know, Michael Kendricks on coming here in a way to play him that you also put it, the best 11 on the field. Now, at the end of the day, realistically, Michael Kendricks may have just come here because they gave him $3.5 million. And at the point in which he signed, there probably weren't many offers that were going to be anywhere near that, even though he could start that he can sort of reset his value after the season as a free agent. But we will see. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting to see because I'm not so sure he's going to get, you know, any of the top – he's going to be in the top three in snaps amongst our linebackers. Like, it'd be hard to see his value going up being on this Browns team if everybody stays healthy in that linebacker core. But um, time will tell. I like having the options. I love having the depth because we lost Jamie Collins last year and kind of were screwed um, from that point forward. Even though he wasn't spectacular when he was on the field. Yeah, but like, we also was, didn't yeah. see him very long. I mean, we saw him for a couple games, and then he was pretty much gone. But the the scenario you played out, I think, is exactly what's been in my head, too, is we don't have much to speak of on the three technique. And so you pull – you just put three defensive linemen out there go heavy on the linebackers, and opens up the options. To me, though, the biggest challenge with that is are we actually going to be able to cover on the perimeter, and is Greg Williams going to trust his corners to do that? Do you think that that's going to be the case this year, and that's why we saw this huge overhaul in the defensive backfield? Uh, If not, then he's never going to make it. I mean, they have to trust their corners. Last year, I understood it last year. Like, I know people like to make fun of it, and I get it, and it it is entertaining to poke fun at at Jabril Peppers on a raft outside Cleveland Browns Stadium. But at the same time, (laughs) if you are Greg Williams and you're saying, I don't have any corners worth of shit, and I've got this dude who has never played free safety, and I'm forced to play there because – uh, I don't have anybody else. And Sashi Brown didn't take Obi Melifonwu when I wanted him to play free safety. And he took that bum Deshaun Kaiser Hugh Jackson wanted. Then you look at it and go, what am I going to do? Well, I don't want to get beat deep. So I will drop these guys off in coverage way back. Um, I would assume, I, I pray they are going to be substantially more aggressive having better guys this year. Like, we can talk about how great, how admirably Jason McCourty played last year, uh, but it was never a realistic long-term solution. It just wasn't. Brian Body Calhoun is the only corner that you had who was legitimately very good. 
and he was a slot corner. So now you've got what looks to be Denzel Ward's going to be on the one side, and I'm guessing we'll see TJ Carey's going to be on the other side. But you've got but you got EJ Gaines. I mean, like I, I could see him taking a lion's share of the snaps too at corner. He could. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that's why TJ Carey got that money. But I, what I could see happening is EJ Gaines is the other slot corner that if you go true dime, that you know you've got Body Calhoun and EJ Gaines both on the slot, and then Carey and, and Ward out on the perimeter. That you have a, a you know a, a good setup. I love EJ Gaines. The problem is EJ Gaines, and then part of the reason you love EJ Gaines is because he gives you everything his body has. The problem with EJ Gaines is he gives you everything his body has, and it can end up getting him hurt, and he will miss time. He will be great when he's on the field, but he, he he's likely to miss time, and that becomes you know a potential stumbling block. And then the other dude you signed from the Chiefs is Ter- in there as Terrence well. Mitchell. And you have... Uh, a couple other corners you brought in. There's a realistic scenario where one of the guys who's making about four million this year won't make the team, and the Browns don't seem unhappy with that. Basically, saying that we needed to to offer that to get them here, we'll eat it conceivably to get the best six or seven corners or however many they want to keep uh, when the you know final 53 set up, and it could be one of those those two either EJ Gaines or or the kid from Kansas City. But the other part of that that gives no, me no, that's old- not going to happen though. That's not going to happen because Howard Wilson's hurt, so he's not going to like ever get a ro- he's not going to get a roster spot this year. And then we traded um, what's his face Jamar Taylor, Jamar Taylor. So I don't think I, I do think that at one point this offseason that was the case. But do you really think that's still the case that one of those guys like Terrence Mitchell or EJ Gaines might not make the team? Yes, because I I think Mike Jordan's going to make the team at, because he can play corner. Or do you just like that his name is Michael Jordan? Oh, I like that's good too. But no, I, <laughs> I, I he I, you know I thought he played well when he was on the field last year. I'm with uh, you actually. But but that's the problem is you, you've got so many guys that. But there's spots for him to make the team now. Is my my take is like it wouldn't have shocked me for Mike Jordan to make the team ahead of like Howard Wilson or something like that. But sure, Wil- but at the same time you've also got you know you're talking about the fact he can be a backup free safety and you've got Demarius Randall you've also got Durant Smith back there who's a good you know pretty good player at free safety you know, yeah but he didn't even see the field last year when we needed a free safety desperately and we we picked him up i don't like i'm not really holding my breath for i mean him how many to, corners are we going to ro- get out to play i mean how many corners are we going to roster i mean we- i would guess about 6 yeah, I mean, so it feels like we can name the six just about right now, and I don't know how many question marks there actually are. I guess okay, this, so this my point. So, w- go ahead. Ward, Carey, yep. Gaines, yep. Mitchell, Calhoun, Calhoun, yep. Mitchell. And Mitchell's already six. No, that's five. That's five, and then six would be Mike Jordan. Maybe that could be. Yeah. So I mean, goes. yeah, I thought it was a big question mark, and this was like something for me too. But now that they shipped Jamar Taylor off and Howard Wilson's out of the picture, I think those are the guys. And maybe somebody like shows up that's undrafted or something like that and steals one of those spots. But those guys, like, you kind of know what you're getting. The only one that I don't like necessarily have any affinity for is Terrence Mitchell. Right, and that's you know he's such an unknown. 
even though he played pretty well for the Chiefs last year. Um, but I'm with you. That's that's the question. But if, if Greg Williams doesn't trust these guys, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work. But uh, to your question as to Deron Smith, they brought him in late. I think at that point they basically said, look, and we've got this far with Peppers. We're not going to take him out. Just let him go uh, and see what happens. And ultimately, at the end of the year, you saw him play uh, that strong safety position during the Steelers game. Um, and, you know, they had kind of cool out there. Where I still can't explain why they released him. Um, the Ravens are happy you got him. But in any case, the, the other part I was going to say is, is the certainly the angel position has not died as, as much as I would like to say it should. But I, I do I would say that Demarius Randall was lined up in the field of play uh, all through minicamp. Like, it was much more reasonable. He's much closer to the box, which should reduce the amount of area the linebackers have to cover, which should make them better in coverage. Because, I, you know, and, and you're right, Jamie Collins didn't play very well. But Kirksey also had a career low in the passing game. I think I think a lot of that was because they were just asking them to do so much in terms of coverage space because that that angel position made 30 yards down the field and you're asking these linebackers to try to run with. Um, and then with Jabril Peppers, and, and I'm hoping they keep doing this, is he was chasing around Njoku all of minicamp uh, in man coverage. If they can get that and have somebody who could be a credible guy who can play the tight end, then all of a sudden everything gets better. Yeah, so I, we'll probably have to wrap up here before too long. Um, we, we can't hold our listeners' attention for too much longer than an hour, hour and 15 <laughs> minutes or so. It's really just the reality of the situation. But I do want to know <laughs> from being at camp, like is there any players that just kind of jumped off that you weren't expecting to be impressed by? Like is there? did you walk away like, huh, all right, so-and-so's like – actually showing me Chad something. Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's never, never going to be Chad Thomas. Um, Oh, he's got a lot. Of, but, oh. but the guy, Pete's got the guys I, I did, uh, there were guys I, I was impressed by, uh, Jeff Janice. Um, and I, and I think he's going to be the dude that, you know, that white guy that fans love in preseason. Just um, wait, I, I read that and I was wondering, is it just because he's white? I just had to ask. Is that the reason why he's going to be the fan favorite? Well, they have a they have a, fans have a tendency to, to to go for the plucky white receiver, <laughs> the token hustle but, guy. But, but, but hustle, but, uh, yeah, he is gritty grinder, Jim Rad coach's son. Uh, but but Janice is also physically huge. Like he looks like a tight end, and he's a crazy athletic guy. Uh, I do think he's going to make the team on special teams anyway. Uh, I think he's oh, going to be. Sure. I think he's going to be that Marlon Moore guy that everybody wants to cut and never gets cut. Although I do think Janice has more to offer than, than Moore did. Oh yeah. Uh, but he's a guy who, who looked pretty good. The other guy that I was really impressed with that I didn't expect because it, he never got the ball in college is, is Julian Allen out of Southern Miss. And there were a couple of times I kept noticing that, you know, this Allen dude catching balls. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then I had to remind myself, he was an undrafted guy that they had. He's really, really. He's athletic. a tight end. He's a he's another one of those space tight end type guys like Devalve, like De- Devin Kajust, like uh, Njoku. Do we have room on our roster for like a fourth tight end like that? 
That's the big question. I, you know, I, I, to me right now, it looks like it's going to be a three tight end group. Yeah, because it seems so obvious. Maybe he's a practice squad guy who, when DeValve leaves after his rookie deal, he kind of backfills <laughs> the space. Uh, could be. Um, you know, but Todd Haley loves tight ends, and that, you know, one of these guys could con- conceivably sneak in. Uh, like, basically, give you an example, uh, you know, when the first-team offense was out there, it was almost exclusively Gordon, Landry, Njoku, and then occasionally it would be uh, Coleman in there. When it was second-team offense, it was like Vitaly, Devolve, Dan, uh, Darren Fells, it, like Baker Mayfield get all the tight ends uh, and, and fullbacks and those type guys. So it does feel like, again, a lot can change that, that Todd Haley likes those guys, which makes me feel a lot better because I'm a huge Devolve fan, um, that he does sort of recognize these guys – can help even if they're not, you know, that first package that you want to go to that they can, they can make a difference. So it's conceivable that in part because of the rule change with kickoffs um, that they may find a way to sort of save a roster spot and want to keep an extra receiver or tight end. And maybe, you know, Julian Allen has a shot to, to make the team, but, but I do think more likely that it's a situation where they want to be able to stash these guys in the practice squad um, for a little while while they try to sort out, especially these receivers, to figure out where they're going to go with that because uh, they just have so many and they have to figure they have to sort out who they actually want to stick with. Yeah. So, Pete, as as we said, we have to wrap it up. Is there any last thing you want to say? Um, to our just vast fan base. It's, you know, it's a real platform here, Pete. You might want to use it. No, I, I, the, the only things I would say is the Baker Mayfield and uh, Austin Corbett not starting would be, you know, certainly you want Baker Mayfield to be great, and I think yeah. he will be. But I do think, especially when it comes to Austin Corbett, him starting – would to me say this is a an organization that is growing up. The fact that they are good enough, uh, you don't want Austin Corbett to suck, but you you what you what you want to have happen is that you don't want second round picks to have to start. You don't want second round picks to mm-hmm. have to save your team. So with the situation they're in now, there's a good chance the 33rd pick in the draft may be a sixth man on the offensive line for this year. And maybe he'll beat out Sean Coleman, uh, but if they if if he doesn't, it's definitely not some disaster. It's a suggestion that we're finally a big boy franchise that actually can be competitive enough where they've got enough talent where rookies can actually develop like they do in other teams, where yeah. like a dude gets picked by the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, disappears for three years, and then suddenly is on their on the on the field and kicking our ass. And you're going, where'd this guy come from? It was because they actually had the ability to take their time and develop uh, develop these guys. And so I'm hoping that, that especially when it, Corbett in particular, but Baker Mayfield to a, a slightly lesser extent, let these guys sort of develop and figure it out. That's actually a good situation as opposed to immediately assuming, oh, they must be terrible. They can't beat out Sean Coleman or they can't beat out Tyra Taylor. That, to me... Would, is a huge 
benefit uh, of of and 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 to me says this team is is growing up and actually getting to a point where they can be competitive. All right, Pete. Thanks so much for your takes. Can you tell listeners where they can find you? I know you're uh, living the, your entire day on Twitter, but uh, you also put some good articles out there. Tell the folks where they can uh, read your stuff. Uh, you can find me uh, at underscore Pete Smith underscore obnoxious because my name's so common. It's not, you know, I don't have the, <laughs> the el- elegant name of like Coon. Uh, where there's <laughs> it's, it's a luxury. So many, uh, that, yeah, and then you can find me on NFL Spin Zone covering, covering the Cleveland Browns. Awesome. All right, man, we'll be following close. Uh, we're excited. Thanks for giving us a little bit of insight, uh, particularly since we didn't have our own eyes there to uh, take it all in. We'll be talking to you. Sounds good. Thanks, Pete. Well, that was great having uh, Pete with his drink there in hand. We have ours here. Having a little conversation about the Browns. It's fantastic. Um, So there's a couple of things that, since we haven't done a show in a little while, that we still wanted to hit and hit a little bit more in depth, Um, specifically the Duke Johnson contract. Um, Michael, how do you feel about those numbers specifically? I know we were all really excited that he got signed to a long-term um, oh, but I think I'm you, still excited. Like it happened two weeks ago. And yeah, you I'm texted me and said it, you texted me and said it was the best day of your life. <laughs> if that gives a testament to what Michael's life looks like, I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. I think it just was a such a testament to where this front office is going. It was like the litmus test for me on this off season as to like how I was going to feel about this front office, whether they were able to sign Duke Johnson or not. And it happened, and it happened at a really reasonable number. And my he basically ap- got the Carlos Hyde contract. Like but the a little guar- bit more. The this guar- is my favorite part the, about the, the entire guaranteed, deal. The guaranteed money is like $2 million different, which is significant. Yes. But, sure. I mean, Duke Johnson's going to see every dollar of this deal, I would suspect, unless he gets hurt. Yeah. No, I don't So, see I mean, it. it's basically like the Carlos Hyde deal. I mean, maybe the Carlos Adio really isn't three years, $15 million. It's like one year, $5 million, I right. guess. But. Yeah. And it's more like six. I think it's a little bit heavy with, like, when you consider his, like, signing bonus and stuff. But um, my favorite part about it is that when you do the, like, annual average, the uh, Duke Johnson deal is, like, just a nudge ahead of Carlos Hyde. The exact same term, three years, and it's, like, 15.2 when Carlos Hyde's is 15. I don't have the exact yeah. numbers in front of me. It's 15.6. But, but it's yeah. clearly, like, a sign, like, yes, Duke, you are a nudge ahead of Carlos Hyde, yeah. and we're making that clear, but just <laughs> barely. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, no doubt about it. The deals are so similar, but the Duke deal is yeah, just a like little Yeah, it's like they took above. the same form. They, like, when they went to sign this thing they just printed the same form and changed the names and like scratched out the number and just like yeah yeah this one will work yeah so my i think if you're being a pessimist about like the money that we've paid to running backs you don't love the fact that we basically have two top 10 paid running backs on our roster right now but what you do like is the flexibility to get out and i think that it looks bad if you just look at it that way i think Hyde and um duke are like either the nine and ten or ten and eleven highest paid running backs right now in the NFL which you don't want that on your team long term how long old do term. you how old do you think Duke Johnson is he came out after his third year at Miami I don't know if he was older or young 26 I, he's 27 24 no oh way. let's go no he's way. gonna be 24 so, when the season starts so he's gonna be 27 when he's reaching a new contract which is 
That's good news for Duke Johnson. For him, yeah. And he got fleeced on this deal, which I feel bad for Duke Johnson because I like the guy. But for the Browns, it's a really sweet deal. I was just so concerned that that Jarek McKinnon deal was going to completely screw us Mm -hmm. over with Duke Johnson, and it didn't. Like, this isn't close to the Jarek McKinnon money. And he's so much better than Jarek McKinnon. Joe Banner was like going bonkers when he saw the Duke Johnson deal. I think I think everybody recognized that the 49ers paid too much for Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. <laughs> like teams just kind of lo- would probably laugh when like players Duke, brought that up. Yeah, when Duke Johnson's agent walks in and says, "Guys, Jarek McKinnon just got eight million dollars. That's what <laughs> I want." And teams are just like, "Yeah, whatever. Go to the 49ers." <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope that's true. Um, it seems to be. Potentially the case yeah. based go, on the go final call numbers. John Lynch and yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah. he'll give it to you. So that's that, hilarious. All all that to say, it I tweeted this from our account too. I think it is super helpful for the dynamics of the locker room for a player from the previous regime to get a good deal and a good extension, where it's not just uh, the new regime's guys that are getting the love. Like I I like that dynamic, and no one deserved it more than Duke Johnson. And to do it before the season started so that he's locked in and good and this doesn't like linger into the season as he crushes it just like he did last year and we wonder if we're going to be able to hold on to him past this year. All around, signing him within this time frame is fantastic. So I don't know if we could have ended up with a better better outcome as far as Duke Johnson goes. This, this was a home run in my opinion. John Dorsey recognizes Duke Johnson as a real football player, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Love that. He's, he's one of the few. Love that. One of the few. One of the few. Good for Duke. All uh, right, guys. All that being said, that is going to wrap it up. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to Pete. We always do. Um, he's a really enjoyable guy. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Um, and that's why we love having him on. That, once again, is at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter, too, at Sin of Our Fathers. That'd be great. We also have a lot of great content, and we're also a great follow. It's been um, a little quiet on the email front. Sinofourfathers um, at gmail.com. Let us know what you're doing this summer. If you have any Browns questions, anything for us to shoot around, we're, yeah, we're looking you, for content. Uh, we're kind of yeah. hitting the, the dog days of the NFL season here over yeah. the next six weeks. So uh, send it over. Let we've us got, know what we've you got about a about. month. Till it, till it really starts kicking back up again. Really, let us know your beefs. What do you hate that we say on this podcast? <laughs> and we'll, we'll just really dig in there. Um, <laughs> use your name and everything. We'll really attack. So come on, send that our way. Um, that'll wrap it up for us. Thanks so much for listening. And, of course, thank you to our Tokyo listeners. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.